right, so this is the second podcast, second episode of Yet to Be Named Podcast. Didn't we decide we were going to have a name before we started the second episode? There's lots of things we decide to do in life and we never accomplish them. Maybe that's what we should talk about today. Not accomplishing things or not having a name? Not accomplishing things. Oh, yeah, well. Uh, no other animal on earth has goals and dreams, plans of things to accomplish. That we know of. That we know of. We can, we can presume. We can. I mean, the vast, I would say the vast majority clearly probably don't have it. I mean, they, maybe short-term goals like, like, you know what? I want some of the fruit from that delicious tree over across the jungle today. Maybe I'll go get some. Do you think, do you think like apes can plan at that level? Yeah. Yeah. I think they can. Do you think that if their plan to go get fruit from that delicious tree on the other side of the jungle was foiled, that they would experience anxiety because of that? Well, I mean, we know that they experience anxiety when they're locked in cages and things like that and can't do what they want to do then, so I don't know why they wouldn't necessarily have some kind of angst and anxiety if there's a big snake in the tree and they don't want to deal with that for the fruit. Sure. But then, of course, you have to wonder if our word anxiety and our experience of that, when we apply it to... It's definitely anthropomorphized. It is anthropomorphized. So I mean, there's no other way for us to know because we can only know what we experience ourselves. Actually, you can only know what you experience, and I can only know what I experience. I have no idea if you're even real. Dale, you might be a figment in my imagination. Possibly. In which case, I would, I would make you look different. <laughs> if I had any control of my imagination. <laughs> if this was a dream, then I could fly and you would not be as unpleasant to look at as you are. <laughs> so that makes me think that this is real. So what would you make me look like? I don't know. I'd probably give you a haircut. I'd trim your beard up a little bit. That's it? <laughs> I didn't want to be unkind. What, whatever changes I would make to you, it would be for your own good. Oh. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be... Everything I do for you, Dale, is for your own good. <laughs> In your dream. <laughs> My dream. Uh, Do you dream about me often? So the monkeys. <laughs> you know, like, it, we, we witness their behavior. Sure. And we interpret that as anxiety. Sure. But all, all we see is behavior. And, you know, that, that brings up something about inference and, and sort of our, our habit of anthropomorphizing, seeing everything through our lens. I have several thoughts about that. One is from a purely scientific perspective, the rigors of science should keep us from doing that, but they don't because we're human. The rigors of science should, should only allow us to say we're observing behavior X, Y, and Z 
when uh, we put monkey in circumstance A, B, and C, right? Right. But we don't we don't just describe the behaviors. We decide the behavior is the result of a state of mind. We we superimpose onto the monkey what we assume their state of mind should be or what we think it is. Now, scientifically, I think that's a mistake. On the other hand, intuitively, I personally believe that we humans have the capacity to to judge the state of mind, to to make pretty good um, assessments of of animals and and maybe not what they're thinking, but at least I think we can relate to them on uh, on on levels that go behind the rigors of you know materialistic materialism informed science. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, I, I agree very much with everything that you've been saying. We obviously, if you if you're going to just have a quote unquote scientific view of that, then all you would be able to say is what you're able to observe. And what you're observing is maybe the monkey is shaking or maybe the monkey is, is hyper or moving quickly or whatever the case may be, but you'd only be able to describe what you see. But clearly there's more to what's happening than what you're able to see. And that's where the intuitiveness comes in. And because we're all in this thing together, this whole creaturely thing together, I think we can intuitively see that the, the monkey is frustrated. He's frustrated by the snake or, in the tree. By the snake in the tree. As I am, I would be very frustrated with the snake I would in my tree well. if I was really wanting that particular fruit. Yeah, I have a peach tree in my front yard over here, and if I, you know, from time to time I go to that peach tree and it has peaches on it like it does now, and I get a peach and eat it in the morning. I'd be very frustrated if I reached out to get a peach and there's a freaking snake in that tree. You know, it's interesting. We we have we've stumbled in our analogy. I did, I just I had that created the <laughs> picture of Adam and Eve, a fruit tree with a snake in it. What does that <laughs> what does that say about us? We just and I just got that when I just said that too. Huh. Uh, Freudians would have picked up on this like minutes ago. I know. Like um, all of our listeners who are psychologists are thinking they clearly have. At least we're self-aware enough to have realized it. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. I mean, not only, not only did we pick up on it, but we clearly showed that we're enlightened Christians <clears throat> because we didn't just assume that it was Adam and Eve. We went all the way back to our ancestors, the apes. Mm, indeed. You know, very much like C.S. Lewis. Very. His, um, evolutionary, progressive yeah. Christians we are. Yep. We didn't assume that it was just a person and personette. Of course, the, the major difference in, in the, the myth in Genesis and our story is that the snake is frustrating our attempt as monkeys to get the fruit, whereas the snake is Tempting. luring us on yeah, to, yeah. to get the fruit. The myth. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. But maybe, of course, if we were to the, have the real fruit that we should have been after was the the fruit off the tree of life, and the snake did frustrate our that as well. our eventual. Uh, but I think if you were to probably till back a little bit, uh, you know, from a psychological perspective, you could make the case that in reality, the snake luring in the myth. Is really the is really what's happening on the inside, because we really want the fruit 
to begin with, or else the snake couldn't bring us to that place unless we truly wanted it. Do you think, I wonder, I wonder if our nature would have been pointed toward, I wonder if we would have seen that the fruit was good to eat without the snake pointing it out. I think we did. Oh, I definitely think that, I mean, I, I don't think you can be tempted by something that you didn't want to begin with. So what, what was the real, uh, crime that the snake committed? Wasn't showing us that the fruit was good to eat. By all accounts, the fruit was good to eat. I mean, we, we saw that. We saw that the fruit was good to eat. What the snake did was say, you won't surely die, right? Even though we were told in the day that you eat it, you'll die. So the snake, the snake lies. Is that the crime of the snake? In the, in the narrative, it is offering, uh, offer, it, it's temptation. It's something it's tempting. It's offered a, that wasn't. Because even then it wasn't necessarily a lie because they didn't die at least physical death the day they ate it exactly and i I mean was it a lie by omission you won't die in the way that you might think of death if we if we take some of the father's uh accounts of of satan one of the things that's very interesting and we see it in the new testament as well the devil the snake this figure in in the christian religion never really has to lie to to humanity i mean he very much offers them the truth but it's truth with a bent to it. it it's it's you know when when satan tempts jesus he quotes scripture he doesn't he doesn't lie he he, he basically tells jesus you know tempts jesus with scripture itself and what you have in the garden with the with the snake with this figure in, in the garden is he, he tells him he doesn't say anything wrong you'll be like god that's true you won't die. That's true, and it's good and pleasing to eat. That's true. All three things were true. So he wasn't offering them deceit or lies. He was offering them, if you will, truth, but with a bit. So maybe it wasn't lie, but it was. It was deceit. It was deceit. It was offering them, and interesting on both accounts. Also, um, if we take some specifically the Eastern fathers seriously. Um, with Adam and Eve, it wasn't that they weren't supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was just the timing. It was the timing. They were right. immature. And so, it, you know, they were created, if you will, in infancy, and they were to grow to maturity to one day be able to partake of that tree and, uh, and be able to handle the knowledge that they had. Uh, so it was really a short-sightedness. So what I find... Uh... He was reassuring all- about about that is yeah. that Eve wasn't wrong when she saw that the fruit was good to eat. Mm-hmm. It actually was good. Yeah. A lot of times we, you know, that that narrative, that scene is sort of stylized by depicting the fruit as I don't know, overly luscious. Like the fruit is deceptive itself. Like right. Like like you know, things in nature tend to be now uh, orchids and 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 certain plants and stuff and, and animals they make themselves look attractive to other animals or to, to something else but actually they're they're just evil death traps because nature can be evil and, and deadly and terrifying and stuff with nightmares but the fruit wasn't the fruit was actually the fruit was good it was it was attractive because it was truly good it was the knowledge of good and evil it was it was a, a degree of wisdom to which um we were made for the fruit was intended for us but 
only at a certain point in development. That also highlights another interesting thing about that, um, about that story is that it wasn't sort of a static reality, the Garden of Eden. It wasn't just Adam and Eve frolicking in the buff for all eternity with no cares. Um, they had a telos. They had a telos. They had a, a goal to which they were aimed and pointed. And that, that goal would only be achieved um, gradually through, through steps, through training. They had, they had um, jobs to do, you know, naming animals and, and tending the garden, which is interesting in itself. Paradise wasn't sort of a um, lazy a, affair, a self-cleaning, self-taking. Yeah, there, there were things to do in the garden to tend it. Um, if not to keep it from falling into chaos, at least to make improvements on it. Because they were unique among all the, all the uh, creatures there, obviously, which is why Adam couldn't find a, a worthy helpmate. And why would he need a helpmate if he didn't have things to do that were required help? Help. And so, the good fruit of wisdom and uh, of of the knowledge of good and evil was a reward for having achieved. It's like a video game, you know. They've done so much, and then they unlock a new level, which is the uh, the fruit. <laughs> The fruit of whatever. It's good and, good and evil, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Do you play video games? No, I don't. I don't, know why, that, I don't, I don't, I don't know why that popped in my head. <laughs> I've watched people play video games, and that's like what it's what you do. You unlock the you next unlock level. the next level. So well, yeah, in the in the game of life, life. <laughs> board game life in the garden once you achieve the level of maturity of, of maturity then 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 the fruit is uh open to you but yeah. they cheated it was short-sightedness it was short-sighted and that's and going back to kind of to that um that's also what was offered to christ a shortcut a shortcut to the reality to the fight to the end to, to the a shortcut a shortcut to the telos is it uh, telos achievable as a via shortcut no it can't be i mean it, let's put it this way the the end the full fullness of the end the fullness of the telos cannot be achieved through a shortcut but you can have because it implies the fullness of everything up to that point yeah mm. but you can have a caricature of the telos um in a very short-sighted manner mm. And so that's what Adam and Eve partook of. And the, and the interesting thing with Christ, at least, and the telos is not only was it futile for, for, for Satan to try to offer Christ a shortcut because the telos to which he was going was um, far greater than anything he could ever offer. And, and of course, you know, it, it, Christ wasn't going to take the shortcut. But the other thing that's the irony of it is that he already had it from the beginning. So he was offering something that was already his from the beginning, and it was just going to be enlarged uh, into its fullness uh, in the end. So, do you think the devil knew he had it? Had what he was offering? Yeah. Well, what he was offering was a temporal kingdom, and I don't really know what was in the mind of of the devil when he was offering Christ the temporal kingdom. You know, um, there's the theory that the devil didn't really realize the man Jesus was the yeah. word. Uh, yeah. I think that's 
I think that's the only thing that could make sense because yeah. um, there's a sense of hiddenness in the incarnation. Yeah, and I think that that I think that that is somewhat implied is it in the burial. Hell reached for a corpse, corpse and, met, and God. met God. Yeah, and it didn't realize what it was seizing until it was too late. That's from the Paschal Homily of Saint John Chrysostom. One of the most badass homilies ever written. Incredible. There's a reason it's it's been copied and, and read in churches across the globe every Easter. Since still Christ. one of my favorite things to read at Easter. So there's a hiddenness in the incarnation, an, an irony to the temptation. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, a very real temptation. Just because, of just course. because Christ the man already in his divinity possessed mm-hmm. the fullness of what he was being tempted with, uh, the temptation it was was real in the flesh. It was. Flesh. It was, and it, it, and it was intense. It, and it could have it could have produced the outcome to which uh, Satan Lucifer was offering. I mean, you you presumably he could have done those things for Christ. Uh, to set up a temporal kingdom in the way he was doing it. But Christ, and, the, and and I should make this point, Christ indeed came to set up a temporal kingdom as well as an eternal kingdom. So it wasn't that he was simply trying to not have a, a temporal or earthly kingdom. He did want an earthly kingdom, and he did set up that kingdom. It just didn't look like what everyone thought that kingdom was supposed to look like. So we shouldn't assume that what Satan was offering was a temporal kingdom and what Jesus wanted was a heavenly kingdom. No, Christ was coming to establish a temporal kingdom. And Lucifer could offer him a kingdom that looked very much like all the other kingdoms of this world. Very much like what, what you know, the, the main expectation from all the scripture-loving, good, yeah. faithful Jews of the time. Yeah, uh, would have and he was imagined. quoting scripture. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he could have done that for him, but his kingdom... The temporal and eternal kingdom, both and, not either or, looked very different. And Christ established it his way, the way that God would establish a kingdom on earth. So, uh, you know, I I think um, that whole temptation, we we don't have a lot that we can see from, from Satan, from the scriptures, despite what most people imagine scriptures to say but if we if we take those two examples the the temptation of the first adam and the temptation of the second yeah you can see how you can kind of see, you can see a pattern you can see a pat or at least you know a pattern in those two instances some somewhat of a, a, a personality not not much i mean because it's still limited like uh like evil is theologically parasitic on on good we we see the personality sort of the the motivation and even the you know assumed telos of the deceiver of, of the devil as being um fully dependent on um the the, the plans of god sure he, he has none of his own his whole plan is to wreck god's plans right well he you, he can't create anything ex nihilo right there's no what what else would his telos be he can't make a new one there's right. only there's one telos to creation so it's it's his his goal would be very, um, like I said, a caricature of the telos. It would look like something for which God's end and purposes were directed, but it would be far less than what God himself mm-hmm. would be accomplishing because he can't do what God can do. And, and, and in reality, it's 
it really ends up being an inverse. It's not, it's, it's, it's the opposite of, uh, let me see. Something burning over there? Like inside your house? Yes. Okay. I Is it supposed to be burning? It's not burning. It's, it's water vapor. Oh. It's a smelly thing. It's one of those. Okay. I just wanted to make sure, you know, we weren't burning your house down. It's, um, you put water in it and you put some essential oil in it and it like blows smelly air out into the house. It smells good. It's why my whole house smells good. Do you notice it smells good when you walked in? It, it smells neutral. Okay. Well, that's, that's better than what it might. Could possibly Could smell possibly. like. <laughs> and quite you. honestly, your house now smells like coffee, which is far preferable than anything else. Okay. Well, even smelly essential oils or neutrality. I'll take neutrality. That's good. Yeah. Anyway, but so the 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 kingdom, the the telos, telos, of uh, of the devil in in the masterful depiction in um, the Divine Comedy by Dante is this. Uh, You're always gonna let that hang over my head. I am gonna like, let that hang over the you. fact that you've read that, and you know I never will. It's not um, even just that it's on my reading list. It's just I will not read it. Here's what you do, Dale. You download it on audiobook and just listen to it while you drive. No. Why? Because I wouldn't be interested in it. Why? I'm just not that interested into Dante's work. I, you, you don't know if you are. You haven't read I it. Was, I was supposed to have read it. That's and, your problem. It was assigned to you. And, you I, and to, I'm, trying, you to, that I'm trying to. I'm trying to be diplomatic here because... It was one of the things that was graded on in college, and my professor might actually listen to this podcast, and he might hear that I was it didn't. DJ. Yeah, it was DJ. <laughs> <laughs> and he might hear that I didn't read it, and I'm pretty sure you lied about it. Probably lied about it. You did the cliff notes. I didn't even do the cliff notes. I just you just BS'd it. I did probably. Yeah. So anyway, so you have that negative experience. <laughs> Stopping you from having the neutrality to approach it with an open heart and mind. And if you did that, you would discover how wonderful it is. It's wonderful. Anyway, so. <laughs> There's in, other books I'd rather read. In Dante's masterful depiction, hell is an inversion of paradise, it's, it's mm. a hanging mountain. And, and so some, somehow, in, in the weird war, warped reality of the underworld, um, they, Dante and his guide are climbing the downward mountain of hell, and Satan is there already chained at the bottom. Um, it's fascinating. He's a giant, giant beast. He's this force of nature down there, but he's utterly, utterly chained. It's really uh, amazing. The imagery sounds amazing. The imagery is amazing. But I just, I just, I know I'll, and I know it's something that is a deficiency in me. So it's not even like a conceited thing. It's, it's more. It's kind of like the way I don't like children. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you definitely, it's the exact same way that you don't like children. Because we do know what, you know. The scriptures tell us that children are a blessing from God, yeah. yeah, and that your quiver should be full of them. <laughs> but <laughs> you don't have any. <laughs> I don't even have a quiver. Yeah. <laughs>
how we began our... I was asking about monkeys. Well, we were originally talking about something else. I can't remember what it was, though. We were talking about... It doesn't matter. Well, I would like to recap, just because... We started out out thinking, well, let's do a podcast on culture, culture, or the lack thereof. Then, when we pressed record... It went a completely different way. We we somehow got on the topic of anthropomorph- anthropomorphizing I asked monkeys. About, yeah, angst, angst, anxiety, and anthropomorphizing monkeys. And then, and then I and then I came up with an example of a monkey wanting fruit. And I think you were the one that introduced the snake imagery. So that's your that's your psychological I mean, thing. Yeah, clearly. I, this podcast needs to be analyzed by a psychologist, and then we bring them on to talk to us about what it says subconsciously. That could be very, very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to look in that mirror. It's best to just kind of keep it. <laughs> just stay ignorant. The partially examined life is part still is worth leading. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, was Plato or Aristotle, which one? Was it? Socrates? Socrates. Well, anything that Socrates says is... You know, put in his mouth by Plato. That's from what we know. He could have said it, or he, Plato could have just. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Really? That's what this podcast should be called. It was. We did kind of venture on the close to the edge of epistemology there at the beginning because we were asking, "How do we know?" Oh, that's right. How do we know your experience or their experience? We don't yeah. know anything besides our, our own, own experience. experience, and we oh, have. Oh, we don't even know if we can trust our own experience. The old Cartesian problem. But that's that's for another podcast. Yeah. Until that time, I think we're I think we're done. I think we got the second one in the bag. Good second episode. I like where we went with this one. I still think when I go back and listen to the beginning of it, I'm gonna have questions of how we got from there to here. It doesn't matter. All all we need to do is you need to keep that list going of things that we need to talk about in the future. So just whatever we started on and then failed to actually talk about yeah just put that on the list and we'll come back to it i like it all right well this is Stephen and dale signing off after having not solved any problems once again cheek to cheek (laughs) 